Are we live? Yes. Indeed, we are live. For real, for real this time. And this is the space where the vulnerable are powerful, if you ain't know that. And the most gangster thing you could do is serve, if you ain't know that. This is the All The Way Live podcast. Are we live? Hey, man. This is undoubtedly the All The Way Live podcast. And live in the livest sense that we could possibly do. We're literally live right now. Ain't that right? I think that deserves like some type of like celebratory auditory sound, you know, like uh <laughs> we in the yeah, building. Like, we definitely really, in the building. Like we really doing this thing here, bro. <laughs> and Miles, I'm glad you said that because exactly what we do on this show over here is give people carefully curated content for their cranium consistently just so that they can be certain that they learn something in a space that is nothing but positivity, inclusivity, and a little bit of goodness in your day because we know people are going through it man we know people are going through it and our intention with this show is to create that dope content that even if for a day gives you a little bit of a better feeling something that you can look forward to something you can enjoy something you can communicate with us with hey man that's exactly what we do consistently yes sir you know what I'm saying? We, we we keep the vibes up, you know? We make sure that y'all have something to, to chew on, food for thought in that regard. But one thing that doesn't change about this show, and if you're hearing this for the first time, welcome. But if not, you already know what's going on, man. Chicago is in the building. Joe Berg is in the building on that side. It's brought to you by the illustrious Gallery Momo. If you were wondering why there's some fly art behind my brother, if you was wondering why he's draped in foliage, if you were wondering why, you know what I'm saying, it seems like he's in a he's in a different type of space. That's Gallery Momo. That's Johannesburg. We're appreciative of that space, that city. I'm appreciative of that space, that city, for all it's done for me, all it's shown me. But I cannot get any further into this show. Can't do it without introducing that Chicago is in the building. That means something to me that's important. If you can't tell by the flag, you know, that we got going on behind us. But the other important thing about Chicago being in the building is that this podcast is recorded on stolen land. You ain't know that. I don't know if you knew that. But yes, sir, man, this land in Chicago was originally cared for by the First Nation, the indigenous people, the Potawatomi people, right? And their collective, the Council of the Three Fires, and violence was done to remove them from this land. And that violence that was done to remove them from this land is inseparable from the violence that we see in our city today, our country today, and the world today. And for that reason, every time mm-hmm. we introduce the All The Way Live podcast, we always lift up love for indigenous people the world over, but particularly in the city of Chicago. We lift up love for relationships, for building, for healing between black and brown folks the world over but especially in Chicago. And with that, I'm done ranting the intros over, man. Zway, let's get into the show. <laughs> hey, dude, we have so much to talk about. This, And this is going to be us testing exactly how much courage we have in some of these topics because some of them are quite salacious in all honesty and just for full disclosure. All the salacious topics do come from Miles Xavier, specifically Miles Xavier. Thank you for these salacious topics, brother. 
You know what? I'm glad you didn't wait until we got more than like one fully live episode in to just put the full brunt and weight of the salaciousness on me. But I accept that. I take that. Because I think one thing we brought up to this show, if I'm not mistaken, is being comfortable with the uncomfortable. So why don't you why don't you give them the lineup of, of uncomfortable topics that we have to choose from today? Well, definitely. Uh, let's start at the top, right? Which is approaching flirt, flirting, social flirting in 2021. This is a conversation that we had had. I said I was out this weekend, and I was um, I went out my, my with my younger sister, my cousin, and I was just watching how they engaging with the world. You know, um, watching people come talk to them, trying to flirt with them, watching them try to talk with people. Um, and it just brought me to to just look at how much that has changed over time, especially like now in 2021, what it really looks like to to be able to go out and, and talk with people. Now, I know you are a man of the cloth, right? So this doesn't really apply to you, but <laughs> it can apply. I appreciate that. So much. Yeah, definitely. But you're right, though. It's it's so different than even when, like, we were formulating our ideas of what it would be like to 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 be single and, and independent. You know, as we were kids in high school, we didn't have we didn't know that Tinder was going to take off and Bumble and Hinge. Right. We didn't know that mm-hmm. there was going to be such a, a shift to focus on how women view dating. And, and so there's a lot of guys that in that were moving a little crazy and got caught left out there hanging. You know what I'm saying? We grew up mm-hmm. in a in a very vast and changing environment. So when it comes to approaching women, I think it I think it depends on. Uh, I think my first advice would be sparingly and and thoughtfully <laughs> would be where I start. <laughs> Yo, you know the advice that the advice that I was giving I was giving my younger cousins is just to say that what there's you need to understand that women are constantly getting approached. The, it doesn't matter where they're getting advances to them. Consistently. Now, granted, there are there are um, certain environments where it would make a lot of sense to be able to be the one that approaches. But in more cases than not, taking the assumption that this person doesn't want to be approached is the best approach to take. But then that opens up the question of what? How do you then engage in in casual social flirtations? Which my advice is: just make yourself somebody that people will want to be able to come talk to. That whatever sex you're trying to attract you make yourself presentable in a way where they will be the ones that can approach you. Ah, you said a lot right there. You said a lot. I think there's, and there's some gems in there, right? One of them is like, be aware of your environment. And, and even before that, right? What you were saying is hearing what women are saying. We're hearing a lot of women say they feel uncomfortable with uh, not only the frequency, by the, but also the manner in which they're being tr- approached. So take that into account. Right. Also, that environment, make sure that the environment not only is one where you you feel comfortable and you feel safe, but that she might feel comfortable and you feel safe. Basically, all of that to say that clearly we're hearing that women have to think a lot about their safety. So make sure you think in at least as as much about that before you approach a, a woman. And the last point that I wanted to touch on that you made was like, let that let them come to you. Right. You know what I'm saying? Let mm. Or create an environment. Let me get, let me, let me take it where I really want to take it. Create an environment where, where, create an environment where uh, the type of person that you want to attract is, can, can, can gravitate towards you. And I don't, and, and I would encourage people to broaden that beyond 
like trying to attract a potential sexual interaction, right? Try and try and create a, a vibe, a, a aura, um, environment that attracts the type of person that you want to kick it with, that you want to converse with. And hopefully somewhere in that group is somebody that y'all mutually have some other type of chemistry with. Yeah, and that also goes into the type of hobbies that a person chooses to take, right? Is like you say, immerse yourself in the things that you like to do and open yourself to the universe of the people that are within that. And from there, you can making connections is a lot easier. I just don't necessarily fully agree with the the old school approach of uh, uh, hey, hey, miss, grabbing arms and whatnot. It's, things are entirely too unsafe right now and then i don't think that i think taking the taking the step to just understand that safety is paramount to this especially when we're speaking about women right safety is paramount to that and then like you said create a space where uh they can feel safe and enjoy themselves yeah for sure and not and and to each individual person create a space where you're comfortable right don't don't always be the space where you feel comfortable or the space that you're trying to put yourself in romantically, sexually, shouldn't be the one that is prescribed to you via like what you see on social media, what you see in movies. Like you don't have to like all of the stuff that you see and watch. And that is, uh, yeah, it's what we're told we're supposed to like go do and expect to perform like out in the world. Right. Even to, and we're getting in deeper territory now, but like, there's a difference between even what you might fantasize about or what you might pursue when you get a little freaky in your zone and what you really want to have happen to you, right? And these are all different things that you can explore, talk to with a partner. And mm -hmm. since there's so much, I would hope that the bottom line that people are getting is like, slow down. Think about all these different elements of engaging with people. Think about all the different mm -hmm. elements beyond sexually that you can engage with people. Take a chill pill and then explore. You know what I'm saying? Cool. If we if we're gonna be completely vulnerable, right, and and use this space as a space of vulnerability and openness, what would you say are some of the thing the, the things you had to unlearn? What are some things that you had to unlearn about your engagement with the opposite sex that now you think back on it, you're just like, man, I'm, uh, that not necessarily something that you've done, but what is something that you've unlearned? <laughs> Uh, that's really easy. The first one that immediately comes to mind is that I think we're taught to a certain extent as like, as youths, right, that your worth as a as a man as a straight young man is is how many women you can attract. Right. And I think something I learned as I got older, was one realizing that that's short term thinking especially in terms of effort. I can put my effort in so many different places. And if, if what I really want is to have a nice selection of partners, then that'll come if I really devote myself to my craft, if I really double down on being the type of family man that I want to be, type, the right type of brother, the right type of son, then that, that attracts a different type of person to me. So really putting effort into attracting a lot of mates with the intention of, you know, both, whatever type of romance, but also bigging up your your ego and your your clout, right, based on how you move in these streets is actually counterproductive because the more you focus on that, the more you are trying to be that guy, the less you really are that guy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it, it reminds me of a study recently. I think it's Dr. Carl Wurzberg, right? 
and he has okay. a, a, a pod and he has a podcast it's actually really dope and they pretty much just break down the the, the, the brain functions, right? So these impulses of sexual drive and the pursuit of, of the opposite sex, where does that where does that come into play from a biological standpoint? And it's just a breakdown that your dopamine levels rise by twofold over the baseline in the act of pursuing sex and in the act of having sex. So when you understand the relationship between how dopamine engages with the, like you say, this this drive to want to just accumulate as many mates as possible. That's a, that's a high. Like you need to understand that that is a, a high, right? So for, for comparison, they say a cigarette increases your dopamine base levels by eight volts, right? So there's, that's a, a huge spike, which is why that crash comes down. And one of the key um, measures of a dopamine spike and decrease is how, is that it goes further down past the baseline usually. Right. So the high that you get, you usually don't end where you started at. You'll end lower than where you started at. Hence things such as what drug users call suicide Mondays or suicide Tuesdays. You know, fascinating stuff. That plays into all types of the patterns of habit, right? Like beyond sex, that applies to drugs, that applies to caffeine, that applies to work, Mm -hmm. right? You you get in this space where for like you had you you find this thing that you really love you know that gives that that stimulates you in a way that you want more of and then you create a routine around it and then all of a sudden after a little bit of a while whether it's that sexual encounter whether it's you know getting that coffee from that new favorite coffee place the double espresso shot that you never really tried before you know what i'm saying whether it's mm-hmm. seeing results from your work and staying till 7 8 p.m. really stretching that you get into this routine where the reward starts to decrease and now you're pouring more mm-hmm. yourself into whatever this, this, this thing is, you know, to try and get that same, that same response. And we all have to be, we all have to be careful of that too much of a good thing, Dude, too much of any true. good thing. I don't, I don't realize <laughs> I had too much of stuff that I never thought I would get too much of, man, you know, and so like what you got to be careful with that. Like all sorts of things like sugar, you know, that sugar will kill true. you. Bro. That sugar will kill the, you, Hey, the number one killer for black people is is seasoning. <laughs> like Chris, like uh, Dave Chappelle said, it's the seasoning. But it's real though. Like understanding the connection of of dope means that that's been a personal journey that I've been on. Just fascinated by what what are the the underlying chemical and and neurological impulses that lead us into doing what it is that we do. Like there's a, I think the the book is called uh, the science of sin, right? Science of sin. And it just kind of breaks down things like, and I think we've definitely covered this over one of our older episodes for sure, but just those impulses where they come from and everything relates back to dopamine dealing. (laughs) This is dopamine dealing. Word, word. Yeah. And it's just important to understand the root of those impulses, man. I know you talk a lot about meta uh, meditation and a large part of the reason for that is because you if you if you continue to work at it, you get into a space where you can kind of see your thoughts pass by, but not feel as attached to them, not have to experience all the emotion of them. And you get to a different place where you can kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, pick up and put down the things that are going on in, in your life. Right. And that takes work to get there. But I think that's it's really important to be able to do that with our impulses, especially those that involve other people. 
You get definitely, it. definitely. And the, that heavy re- reliance on meditation is because I, I am an impulsive person. You you know, and that's that's a key, that's like integral into say being an entrepreneur. You need to be able to act off of your impulses in order to solve problems you know in order to decide which way to go as an executive on your front you recently tell me a story about having to act very very quickly on the impulse of having to keep kids safe in chicago because there were shootings that were going around or whatever the case is targeted shootings in schools and you need to be able to, to react quickly but that can easily spill over and has in my case a few times into things outside of just the impulses of work, you know, that then starts tapping into, man, okay, I'm, I'm, let me do this. Let me have this impulse of work. I right, let me go do this other thing right here. Let me go do this other thing. And so meditation kind of allows for a second between when I get that impulse and acting on that impulse. That's meditation gives me the, the space between those two things to be like, actually, that's just an impulse. Yeah, you can keep you can keep calm in the room. While it's crisis in the building, and that's I like important. that. That's important, right? Uh, but if I can respond in kind, let me hear from you, right? And it doesn't have to be necessarily in the romantic sector, but something mm-hmm. related to impulse that you've unlearned or untaught. I'll tell you, it's looking looking at women, like being having my head on a swivel. That was a big one, right? That that's something that I a partner of mine had told me I do. A partner of mine had told me I do, right? And if we're, again, being fully... <laughs> That's an uncomfortable conversation, for sure. I, I know, all the way live, episode one, we're giving it to him all the way live. I was saying um, between her and you, for her to have to tell you, you know? <laughs> you know what I've been noticing? And you know those types of those types of conversations never come out very as calmly as you put it. It's never like you know. I think you might look. No, it's never that smooth. There's usually a, a physical motion that's that's accompanied by it, right? <laughs> and what what <laughs> Zoe went through that, so y'all ain't have to go through that, man. We appreciate so you bringing that. You're welcome. Up. I'm a, I'm a martyr of sorts. Anyways, what tripped me out is that not that I was looking, but the fact that I didn't know I was looking, right? Because when I, I was sitting in the car and, I, and she was like, you're doing it. I was like, I didn't even look at this person. I was like, what are you saying? But surely the action of looking was, you know, noticeable. And I was like, damn, this is clearly not something that I've trained myself to do without even noticing that I'm doing it. And from that point, trying to be somebody and trust me, when I say in South Africa, that's a very difficult thing to do. You know, I talk all the time about how this place here has the most beautiful people, has that man, woman, I don't care. This is a country of beautiful people. That's just a fact. That is no. This is a, this is a real struggle. This is like a CIA agent that was always trained to look for all the exits in every building that he goes into in a door factory. <laughs> And now he doesn't know what's what's real, what to do, man. That's a real struggle, bro. You, that's we. I appreciate that's real. That. Yeah, you, you, you welcome. A difficult task that I had to take on myself. But the pro, a part of unlearning how not to just be 
keeping your head on a swivel for me came in identified like accepting the fact that cool it is something that i do and now constant you you can't not do it is the thing if you want to if you want to break a, at least for me if to break away from having my head on a swivel i had to always not do it that way it's instinctual to not look that right. that's that's something i learned Word. Hey, no, I'm glad that you were able to bring that one to the table, you know, because mine was very much an internal shift in thinking that later played out in actions. But yours was more of like a physical, almost muscle memory type of thing that you had to kind of unlearn. And that's the work that we need to do. That's the and that's these are the type of conversations that I feel was important to have as us as guys checking each other like, yo, how are we how are we moving out here? And and as a group. Mm -hmm. Even if nobody's moving reckless, there's always room to tighten up, you know, especially as we get older and hold ourselves to a higher standard. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you're about to use me as an example. So no, no, we... <laughs> you've contributed enough, yo. I appreciate it. Like you want too much team. Yeah, the no, not too much. The right amount. The vulnerable are powerful and you've 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 exercised your power today. I think we bodied that. I think we can move on to, to current news. <laughs> Definitely, definitely. Hit us with that drop one time. And let's get right into it. Yes, we about to get deep with it. Dang, that's mm -hmm. an aggressive title card. <laughs> we gonna work on it. <laughs> Miles, what, what was I supposed to do? Not to make light of the situation, but oh, what other title would have been more <laughs> appropriate? I think I think well, I think we we want to broaden this conversation, but let's let's first let's first do the the obligatory for sure. Rest in pieces to to Sarah Evard and mm -hmm. uh, acknowledging like, yo, that this is a problem and, and much the way that like the conversation around Gabby Petito is this is an individual that represents a larger problem. And that problem is violence against women. Uh, and that's a complicated conversation because there's there's levels to it. There's violence against women is happening. We need to hold men accountable. There's but there's also the level that cases like Miss Evards and even Gabby Petito's bring to the forefront, which is it gets a lot more coverage. It gets a lot more traction, and it seems like people take it a lot more seriously if it's a white woman who is the victim of this violence. So. I want to get your kind of take on this. And I it's, I know you got the article right here. So if you want to kind of give us a little bit more of the background, but I just first wanted to start it off with like, the violence is the problem, lifting up love for the victims of the violence, people that are close to these people, people that are re-traumatized and hearing these stories. Uh, we're going to get a little bit deeper into this. So this is hopefully also serves as a trigger warning. Uh, we love anybody who's watching this live, listening live, but you know what I'm saying? We want to be, conscious in case anybody needed to take a moment. Thank you. Thank you for that. So just to give a, a quick read, um, the never have leaders felt that public trust is so low, they have had to advise women to consider fleeing if they are comfortable when confronted by one of the officers. So essentially, the Sarah Everard story is this young lady from the UK, 33 years old, was stalked over two days by an off-duty police officer who then later raped and murdered her. And since then, there have been protests um, to there have been protests in her name that have then been met with uh, police. You know, they've been met with police force over the last few days. So I'm th I thank you for for bringing that up because we're live, right? I think it's fair. I feel comfortable now to be even more open with 
how we even put together the structure of the show. Because when, before we sit and we bring a topic up, we're interrogating what is the conversation that we can have around this whole thing. Um, and you highlighted one of the, 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 the key points for us, the, the, let's say the key points of conversation around it, which is that it is in fact true that the story of a missing white woman tends to get more press, but the overarching theme of it is the issue, which infects more than just white people. Um, 4,500 women in South Africa since 2016 have been reported missing which makes this one of the highest places of missing women outside of your Boko Haram, outside of your um, Afghanistan and places like that. So what this story was brought out to me mainly is to, it, it, I think the, the response that was coming from the police force saying that the woman should flee, interrogate somebody if somebody is a, interrogate an off-duty police officer if they are in fact an off-duty police officer and flee. Those are the, those are the solutions that we're yeah. giving. Specifically, I think they said flag down a bus, right? So, and, and, and to your point, I want to, I want to just appreciate like that you brought in the perspective of how serious an issue gender-based violence is in South Africa like this story also crosses over with the very real reality that people of color face in the United States uh, and all over the world in terms of policing, being over-policed, being over-criminalized. And a big important part of the story is that for the police to tell, to now tell women, if a, somebody who is dressed as a police officer appears to be a police officer confronts you, right? And, uh, question their legitimacy and try to flag down a, a bus. Well, that's, that's not very encouraging. That's not very reassuring advice to women in very much the same way that uh, indifferent and, and I, I don't want to minimize any of these different issues through comparison, but it's, it's, it's funny and it rings true that in this very same way that black people are often told well, follow the police officer's instructions, right? You know, there, there's, a, there's a sense that these instructions are being given by somebody that doesn't really have to contend with the oppressive force of the police in the same way. And we might be, yeah. and in terms of how that has galvanized certain communities to have a very F the police attitude, the police might in, in and of themselves across the world, this being an example in Europe, right? But their tendency is to kind of continue to further alienate people with this type of detached advice. Yeah, it's, it, it is detached advice because especially when you consider that interrogating a police officer is literally how many black people have gotten killed in these places too. So, you know, that I, I don't know if I, brothers, I don't advise that. Sisters, <laughs> I, do, I don't advise that either. Right. I really don't. But the, 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 how, how, let's say tone deaf this this advice is also takes me back into some of the news we were hearing this week about the church being blamed for um the church being blamed for the the murders in 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 canada right the indigenous the kids that were found and realizing that that was something that was um pervasive in in canada they were killing they were killing uh native children and burying them under schools that's happening so the, the church's response to that and just being almost hands off about it was speaking exactly to that tone deafness of it. 
Yeah, yeah. From time, from time, from time, there have been communities of people, women, people of color that have been marginalized, and history has a way of erasing it. And unless it's sexy in some sort of way, media has a way of downplaying it. But what you're referring to is like stuff that we've seen and we've discussed on the podcast. If you haven't heard that before, make sure you go check out the YouTube, check that out. You know what I'm saying? Go back through the archives. We've been talking about this stuff from time. But what happened was in May, 215, the remains of 215 children were found near a residential school in British Columbia in Canada, right? A week later, 751 unmarked graves were found at a similar school in Saskatchewan. So we're approaching a thousand unmarked graves, largely filled by children who've been separated from their parents. Uh, and these are indigenous children, first nation children that were victims of the violence that we speak about when we open this show in terms of the land acknowledgement. But yeah, there's been genocide that's been perpetrated against native Americans in North America and that gets covered up. And it's just it's 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 crazy, man. It speaks to just a broader sense of like this history be staying buried. But we wanna we wanna keep it on a positive note. So what's what they're asking now is is the First Nation people um, after all of these discoveries are asking for uh, a recognition of this, and they're asking for a apology from the Pope, from the Vatican. They're saying. Yeah. A lot of these schools, these residential schools were run by the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church was a, played a big part in pushing the extermination of Native Americans in this in the, of the indigenous people in this land. And so they would like an apology from the Vatican. And that just makes me think of a lot of the other things that the church might have to apologize for. You dig me. What what is particularly interesting about the the, the church aspect and broadening broadening it past this the the Catholic Church is the growing decreasing number of people that are going into churches. Right, one of the sayings in the 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 study of churches is that there aren't any new mega religions that are that are coming about. Right, the the numbers of the church is not swelling up at the rate that it used to, and this is just from a um, congregation and number perspective. It's, it's nothing more than a, a membership counting, uh, a membership right. counting database, and the rates of people that are going into not just um, uh, uh, Catholic and Protestant churches, but the same thing is going for religions across the board. There is a decreasing number of people that are going into them. Um, I think for. For this generation, particularly, like we can speak, I can speak for myself in the sense that um, the traditional practice of what the act of going to church or whatever the case is, especially even with things such as COVID, right, where we see the 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 concept of traditional spaces and how we use them kind of evading away, right? Mm -hmm. Things going a lot more virtual and things like that. So when it comes down into just the the, the the relevance of it it's, it's 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 something that I think about a bit. Yeah, and I, and I and I for one feel bad for you as somebody who was like in church without exception every Sunday before COVID, and to have that ripped away from you, I just that's not fair and it's not right. And I just I I feel for you, brother. So I just want to take a moment to ask you how are you doing since you haven't been able to join the congregation. You know what I mean? Live and in person since this horrible pandemic 
has torn a divide between you and your precious church. Uh, I mean, we're, we're in the congregation right now, so <laughs> I just created a church. We got pictures and everything, dude. Good answer. Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> no, it's funny, right? It's funny. It's funny having this conversation, being like, "Yeah, there's." I can both see, or at least feel, kind of get the sense, right? Especially as somebody who grew up in black church, right? Mm-hmm. And black church in the United States is a serious thing. When you you, it's hard to park. You get a sense that the full community has come out. You know that you're going to be in there for at least two, three hours, depending on how many goodbyes and hellos your mama got to say. You know what I'm saying? You're going to be in there till lunchtime. So I remember it being such a big part of community, of of socializing, uh, of events, right? Like, I didn't always appreciate them, but sometimes there were events after church, barbecues, all types of stuff. And I see that happening less or at least i feel it happening less and part of that might be because i had to go i was forced to be in that space with with my parents uh not that i didn't learn a lot and it didn't keep me out of trouble in a lot of ways but yeah i would i I would wonder especially in south africa right do you feel like was there was there a greater sense of like sunday is church day for black folks specifically and has that changed over time Definitely, definitely. The, the the black church experience miles is something very fascinating. It is the same experience in any black church that you go to throughout the world. I remember going to a, a, a black church in Venezuela with my mother, and it was a it, it was a black church. All right, came equipped with <laughs> came equipped with the late start and the late end. <laughs> you know the whole nine. So uh, it, the black churches have that phenomenon in the sense that they're pretty much standard across the board. But you're right in the sense if I just take a, a tally of my peers and I take a, a tally of what we we're now what we consider the next generation, right? The we're we're the generation after the generation that's done. Then then after beneath us is generation Y. We're generation Y, generation Z is the one beneath it, right? So it's uh gen Gen X, Y, Z. You know what I'm getting into with these. I, I don't know either. I'm guessing at I this did, point, but still. Astrology <laughs> and like the gender, the gender separation levels. I'm I'm lost. You know, I'm happy. And if you know anything about astrology or the gender qualification levels, please let us know why. Because <laughs> clearly, in the comments. Let us know in the comments. <laughs> that is our that is our one content blind spot. So please help us out with that. But it's the only content blind spot, actually. A good, I, th- I think a simple way to put it is I'm, I know like amongst my peer group, folks that grew up in the city, folks that grew up in the suburb, we all have this kind of common experience and commonly remember what it was like to be a kid in black church. But a lot of those same people that I talk to aren't still in the church now. And I'm sure that that has played out over multiple generations, right? I feel like kind of every generation must feel like that they're maybe not every generation we're talking about black folk, but for the past few, three or four generations, there's probably this feeling of there, the church was a much bigger specter in people's lives and then started to kind of fade. Right. I feel like my grandparents would even look at my parents and go, no, we was the generation that was really in the church. Y'all was Mm -hmm. the ones that was started to fade. And now look at your kids. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? For sure. For sure. And part of like, if you, if we look at it, 
more outside of, let's say, just the Black church experience, right? And we look at it with most traditional practices. We're seeing the practice of Thanksgiving change now. Now it's Friendsgiving, right? We're no longer are necessarily that Friendsgiving is, is now international. South Africans and all over the world, people are doing Friendsgiving, right? Which is now a different, it's a, a different renaming to a similar practice under a whole different type of energy. And it's, it's going through, it's, it's all across the board with the, these, these sorts of changes. So I just think in all honesty, there's moments in history and history repeats itself in this regard where the complete psyche, consciousness and norms of a society just begin to change. It's like when people are moving from um, horse-drawn buggies into cars, right? That, 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 that change happened so, so quickly. Uh, so the, the statistic is that um, horse-drawn buggies was an industry for over 400 years, but it took 10 years for Ford to change, for that, for that industry to be almost obsolete. 10 years. It took yeah. 10 years to change a 400-year norm, right? And so it's, it's the same thing in psyche and consciousness. It's, it's coming it's for us, too. It's coming for us. They're going to stop. They, we're not going to be allowed to drive our whole lives, bro. They're going to get no. these robots and Teslas in there and they're going to start getting us up out of here. Uh, yes. Man, I, you, you said so much. I had a, I had another point that I wanted to take off of that. You're right. There's a broader, like outside of the black church, there's a lot of communities that are moving in a more secular direction. And I guess I wanted to ask you, do you feel like that is a result of us? Like kind of in the back of our mind, hearing all of these like atrocities that the church is accused of, whether it's abusing, young people, whether it's being deeply implicated in the extermination of indigenous peoples in this land, like, do you think that that plays a role into people not having the same amount of, for lack of a better term, like faith in these institutions? Or do you feel mm-hmm. like it's just kind of a, a, a natural shift away from, you know, we have, we went from worshiping the sun to worshiping, you know, people and prophets and God to now we kind of getting towards worshiping phones and celebrities and numbers and mm-hmm. data. And yeah. do you think it's, or two things can be happening at the same time, but what's your take on that? I mean, the, what, what we're seeing actually happen. And this, I think is just across the board with mass religions is that when you underpin capitalism to uh, idea of moral absolutism, right? The idea that this particular uh, this particular um, doctrination of spiritual engagement is the absolute truth and how it is given, and then you add capitalism under it, which is fundamentally and just just got so many holes in it and has been created to have so many holes in it. It's very difficult to be able to merge those two things together. And we've gone through the era of mega churches, of mega synagogues, of entire even countries that have been built on the concept of, of, of church, right? I mean, we're looking at, um, we're looking at uh, Rome, we're looking at uh, Dubai, we're looking at a whole, uh, Dubai more so actually is, is, is more oil-based, but nevertheless, it's just in the concept of uh, the, the, the laws that govern that type of uh, Sharia, not Sharia law, the laws that govern um, uh, Islam, Islamic funding, there you go. The laws that govern Islamic funding, which come from the Quran, those are based under that that model. Just to say that over time, the, cap- the capitalism is dying. 
if we're not paying attention with it, is dying. The concept of fiat currency is going away. Our understanding of how we engage with money is going away. In 2021, there were more billionaires created. There were more billionaires created last year than there were over the last 15 years, right? Which means that the scale in which this concept that we have of money is broken and it's fallen. So we're moving away from the biggest religion that underpins all religions. And I think anything that has built itself on top of that is going to see itself almost sink with it. But I hope that the intention behind the energy in these spaces is maintained and that we keep expanding it and be as, as inclusive as we can, but keep sharing the love, sharing the positivity for real. Bruh, I love to hear you talk crazy about capitalism. That's right. We will convert you <laughs> it. I love it. I love it. But yeah, man, I think, and, and thank you for kind of like giving us the zoomed out picture as part of that. I also want to just acknowledge that as much as we might, there might be a tangible, a tangible shift in how much, the church is like this overhanging presence in our life. I got to still lift up like how much work that the church still does in the community. I, as somebody who has like the blessing of being able to be tapped into community networks of resources, the, a lot of the, a lot of the folks that are putting everything into that, their title starts with pastor, right? Not doctor mm-hmm. not professor. It's a lot of the pastors that are still doing that work. Those networks I think speaking to the history of black people in the church and what that has meant for organizing continues to echo into today. If nothing else to be one of the most prominent still, even if we start to see that influence fading, like from food pantries to trauma services, to taking care of families after whatever it is, gun violence, eviction, the the church is still a huge pillar of that. So that, that can't be overlooked. Yep. And what, all, what we also can't overlook is that the center of this story is the lives of the people that have been victimized, right? So we this the, the point isn't to vilify the church, your church, my church, anybody's church, but to say that we have to have difficult conversations about the places that we have faith in and, and give money to and support and the accountability and responsibility they have as we discover the violence that has been perpetrated. So lifting up love for the indigenous people, horribly, sadly, the indigenous children that were killed, anybody that's been abused by the church, anybody that, you know, has been a part of this conversation. uh, We want to lift up love first and foremost. And that's how we do things. Yeah, man. That's how we do things. And if we're getting into more uncomfortable conversations and moving right along to the last part of the show, Maz, I'm sorry I have to do this to you like this. It's already here. Oh, but it, hold on. Oh, (laughs) never have we ever. Wow. Never have we ever started with the rating. It's too late. It's too late. But nah, nah, nah. That, that rating is wrong. That rating is too high. This, this is the hip hop part of the show. If you got sensitive, if you got sensitive ears, this is the time to dip on out. We're getting on, to man. talk about that real. Miles Xavier, you as the biggest Meek Mill fan that I know, you as somebody that put me on the Meek, you as the in-house Meek Mill correspondent, kindly explain to us what it is that we put into our ears this weekend with Meek Mill's expensive pain. I want everybody out here to listen and to know one thing and one thing only. All right, look, Championships is an amazing album. All right, Championships is, is, is fantastic. Right. It's a green cover. Go look for it on all your streaming platforms, Apple Music, Spotify, wherever y'all at. Go find championships. You know what I'm saying? That is what you should listen to right after this. It's a great, amazing project. Uh, 
that's all I got on this one, man. I, you know, I hate to, I hate to wrap it up early, but we're going to go on and get out of here. Meek Mill championships. Fire. Peace. <laughs> I mean, look, what I think, I think the uncomfortable conversation is, uh, Meek's, Meek's relevance in today's, in today's hip hop. And the difficult thing about it too, is that I heard somebody once say, um, that, I think they were saying 21 Savage is bigger than Meek. And I was like, no way. It can't be. It can't be. It can't be. Because we grew up on Meek, you know? I was just listening to Burn um, recently. And if you haven't heard Burn, that Burn remix, 20, that's 2013, 2014. That's incredible, incredible Meek. Um, and then from that, we got a lot of a lot of pretty solid projects for Meek, right? Um, wins and losses. I, I really enjoyed championships. I really enjoyed dreams worth more, which is worth more than money was also really cool. DC four is my personal favorite out of the bunch. So coming into expensive pain, I was quite excited, but I had a call with you. No, Miles. you <laughs> Don't do that. Don't be too scared to give your opinion. No, and I then, but, all right, all right. <laughs> but I also got to give you your flowers because you low key did I can't have an honest conversation without acknowledging that I thought it was going to be good. And you were told me, eh? and I was like, bruh. And then I was like, damn. I you believe know? the words were, Zoya, you're tweaking. You can't be. You are dead wrong. You are dead wrong is what you said. That might be including some additional sauce, but I will take that. I'll take it because I because I was wrong. And that's the that's that's the bottom line. Look, like I am, like you said, I'm a huge fan of Meek. Uh, I, I'm not that big a fan. We don't need to play that. I mean, I, I remember the 2011 horrible audio days. We don't got to take it all the way back for the flashback. But it was, it, it's, yeah, Meek is somebody who I've always really enjoyed and always had to hear other people tell me how much they don't enjoy him until the whole free Meek thing where he was a part of when social justice was sexy and his incarceration was egregious. And those two things played into each other in such a way that he got a lot more love than I've ever seen him get. And I felt really happy for him, but I think that's part of the reason that that album that came out of that championships was so good. And this one wasn't great. And I felt tricked Mm -hmm. because everything leading up to this, the lemon pepper freestyle was fire. War stories, freestyle fire Mandela freestyle, fire and a lot more conscious a lot more introspective and related a lot more to the championships we heard than what we got on this album so i was i i was looking for another step up in growth and i felt like it was a kind of a step back because it was it was it wasn't as hungry and i think that meek relies a lot on that hunger as part of his as part of his what is allure you know, what's happening to Meek is what was happening to Dave East in 2018, 2019, around that time, right, where he came out with a very unique sound, um, undeniably dope, dropping, you know, just al- albums that, that we love from Black Rose and going all the way to um, Kyrie Chanel, you know, which had Type of Time, which is still a street classic. Um, not obviously to the same degree that um, Dreams and Nightmares is, you know, but it's, it's, it's comparable in the sense that it gets to a point where there's ear fatigue that you get with an artist, right? Not to say that this is bad music because in, if 
uh, knowing how difficult it is to create music and this is created well the sonically it's there the the features that you want to see would be there but i think the 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 we've been getting the same volume same tonality same type of meek and that gets a little bit tiring and then when you layer that onto modern sounds it feels a little bit um of a it's a bit of a of, of meek being the person me catering to the person that is featuring on this album it was always created to be open with albums or with with features and i think that's one of the the, the key differences behind it what where creative goes from there i don't know it would be very interesting to to see where creative goes from there i I don't even know what I'd say would be dope for me to make. What I what I'm not the biggest fan of is the the, the girl songs. He seems to make a lot of those girl songs. I blame little I blame little Dirk for that. But think about but so you're not feeling the girl songs on this album, but dangerous in twenty four seven go crazy. Do you know? From the last album. They do. They do, but that's two girl songs that I like over it's a heavy shot. It's a it's a heavy but, shot. But that's but that's my that's why I think I was disappointed by this album was because he did so he did everything on the last album. He did the fire intro that he's known for. He did introspective beats or introspective tracks with lyrics that related to the situation in terms of police of in terms of incarceration and over criminalization. He did more introspective tracks speaking about the streets from a different angle on like oodles and noodles, babies and championships and trauma, even the emphasis on trauma, like as that became a buzzword in and academic circles being trauma informed. Right. It was so much more. It spoke to an artist that could be so much more than the energeticness that allowed him to just to eat and. I speak about hunger when I talk to Meek because I, I I think that that was one of the things that attracted me to Dream Chasers too, to nothing but flamers mm-hmm. even, was this kid was hungry and this kid was trying to out-rap anybody that you thought could rap. And this the conversation gets bigger and broader when we talk about like, what is it for an artist to be happy? You know, it makes me think of Chance the Rapper's album, Big Day. Everybody universally that I talked to thought that that was trash. And a big part of that was because he was so tangible and happy throughout that whole, throughout that whole album. And there's a question of, do we want our artists to be happy for real? Or do we want them to be hungry, pushed to the point of making the best possible music they can make? Some artists might make music better happy, but I think Meek, there's a point where I'm listening to this and I go, he wasn't going through as much. He wasn't, forced to sit and think as much. And as much as we have to be careful about glorifying how rappers have a tendency to, whenever they're incarcerated or in jail, come out with some fire projects, what do we really want for these artists and the people behind them? And what does it mean to be a fan? So hearing this, I'm like, he sounds, there. he's not trying to make, he's trying to not, he's not trying to make me think. He seems like he's really, he just came in, he's from being on a jet ski somewhere and he wants them, or being on a bike, I feel like this whole album sounds fire if you're sitting on a bike doing donuts Mm -hmm. in a back alley, right? But it's not trying to be as thoughtful as the previous work. And if that's him enjoying his life, then that's what I want for him, but it might not be what I want for the music. And so from that perspective, I gotta not give it a pass and not put my cape on, but but just gotta be like, to your point, this isn't bad music. It's just not the step forward that I wanted from Meek. And maybe that's because he's not as under pressure. Um, and I, and you would be 
you're well you're well within your right to say that because before that we got championships which was his best work and then even before that we had wins and losses which wasn't particularly big for everybody but wins and losses to me is one is, is a very very solid um project you know and even with how he approached wins and losses it was again like you say from a very introspective perspective a very introspective point of view stepping into um stepping after the the, the drake the drake now this this was slightly after Drake, but uh, you know the the jail system and the girlfriend, Nicki Minaj, whatever the case is, he was coming from a very dark place when he was writing, and that was a step forward. Maybe this is jet ski music, and me and you are not on jet skis. Um, we are plastered over here. But one thing that we can do, um, I, and and I want to get your I want to get your rating too, so we can just quickly get uh, just. What Westside Gun is doing with that Hitler wears Hermes is fly. Yeah. It's super, super fly. Maybe that even deserves a review on its own. But if we're speaking about music that is getting flyer, niggas uh, is sleeping on Westside Gun, you know? But for what's your 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 ranking and what do you give this album? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you mentioned so much of how, of the things that make me feel about Meek the way I do. We've seen him come back from a super fumbled beef with Drake. We've seen him come back from an ugly breakup with Nicki Minaj because he's that talented. And so I'm not really that worried about his next projects or like his future in the rap game. This project just wasn't for me. And if I can, in my own head, make that because he's too happy, then, you know, that just shows that I'm just a super fan in my own world. I got to give this a three out of five because it's not bad. There are six solid songs that I like off of it. Uh, if I could do my highlights, it would be um, Tweaking. It would be uh, the track with Kehlani. It would be there's a couple other joints on there that are that are decent, especially towards the end of the album. But so it's not bad. But for Meek, much like in the way that I was like, Donda isn't bad. Certified Lover Boy isn't bad. Expensive pain isn't bad, but it's a C plus for the artist that made it. So a three out of five is is where I'm gonna put that at. What about you? Um, I put, I'd give it a I I'd, I'd do the same thing. I'll do it at three point five. Uh, the, the standouts for me, Flamish Flow was dope. Blue Notes too. I dug a lot. Tweaking was pretty cool. Um, the rest of it wasn't particularly uh, too enticing for me. It did make me want to go back to older Meek, so I'll I'll do that. But for this one, I'm. But I think we're gonna have to. I'll give it a pass. Yeah, not, not my, not my favorite, not my favorite. But excited for whatever, whatever comes next. So, with that, cool. You know what I'm saying. Hey man, rush out of that conversation. But uh, what other hip hop? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. That that uh, what were you saying is fire. Hitler wears Hermes 3 is super dope, man. Check out Sides A, Sides B. Westside Gun is doing some incredible stuff. If you haven't checked out that Mark Kami, he's got some new stuff coming. Not my absolute favorite, but if you're enjoying that type of music, definitely go give that a look. Um, what else came out that we've been listening to? I'm really digging. Um, I'm listening to a lot of Afro beats, a lot of uh, pianos over here in South Africa, which is dope. Um, Van Jess put up some yes. uh, the deluxe part. The Van Jess Deluxe album is pretty dope. Yep. Check out that yep, Van Jess. What's, what's that? Homegrown? That Van Jess Homegrown Deluxe. Crazy. Now mm-hmm. and Then Life Was Beautiful. If you're not on that album, get on that. Yeah. Roadie, God Family Money. 
Just giving away all the mm-hmm. gems. Dropping all the gems on y'all, man. That's yeah, what you reading these days, Brother Mouse? Uh, I'm currently, I'm wrapping up a book on reparations called From Here to Equality that kind of went on snooze when I went on vacation. But there's a new book by Anita Hill called Believing uh, that has to do with pre-Me Too movement. This woman who was one of the first to bring the term sexual harassment to the forefront of public conversation when she stood up and accused uh, a circuit court judge, Claire Thomas, Clarence Thomas, of sexually harassing her. And so she's a black woman believing Anita Hill. I think we should get into that book, maybe chop it up on some recommended and review type stuff later. But uh, yeah, believing Anita Hill. Check that one out. What have you been reading, bro? Um, I'm, I'm dipping deeper into my science bag. I'm still reading um, A Brief History of Time by Richard uh by uh steve hawkins which is which is really really dope um wrapping up 1984 by george orwell at the same time and then i think jumping off of that i'll dive into um the sanita hills book that you've you've recommended yo back to music right quick have you have you listened to the new belly album i did hear the belly album yes what what you think about that I'm not very. I think we might have actually covered it on the on on the show before, but the, I'm not a, a massive fan of Belly. I'm not a massive. I think fan he's. Of Belly. I think he's a he's a good writer, but I'm not particularly too fond of his sound. I'm not a huge personal fan of Belly, but he's one of the artists where I could see a lot more people liking it than I hear talk about it, and so yeah, it's a it's a it's one of the albums that I don't love, but I that I would recommend. To people that want some, it's like it's about to be summer on your side. So if y'all trying to turn up, y'all trying to listen to some, it's very well produced, like energetic music. Great for runs, great for that. Belly, uh, see you next Wednesday. Is that what it's called? You see you next Wednesday. And Belly's a writer, you know. Belly is right, wrote for the weekend, written for Drake, written for everybody. He's a, he's a good, he's got a good pen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, that. I mean, that's with that the, brother. That's the sound of like the click, the click at the end of the. We didn't get, we didn't give them a fresh show. I see two people is two people is live, man. That's that's pretty big. We appreciate that, you know. That's 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 dope. Rocking with us all the way to this far, because we know. Oh yeah, man. We're aware that whether y'all are watching on YouTube or Twitch or whether you tuning into this joint on SoundCloud or checking it out on Spotify or Stitcher or Apple Music, wherever you at. You had to scroll past some other podcasts. Why? Because it's too many podcasts, to be honest with you. It's way too many of them. We probably even shouldn't have one to keep it on the low. If you're still listening, that's some inside stuff for just y'all to appreciate that. Look, it's too many podcasts. We appreciate how much y'all probably had to scroll to get to this one, had to take the time out of your day, decide to click on this. It's nothing but love from us as you join us. This podcast right here, All The Way Live, is a celebration of life. It is a celebration of love. It is a celebration of how good it feels to be black. Don't it feel good this way? My favorite thing in the world. And we hope that it feel good to be you. And we hope that you enjoy yourself. We hope you heard something that made you happy, made you laugh, made you cry, made you want to like, comment, or subscribe. With that, go eat something delicious. Go hug somebody you love. Peace. Water. We gone. Yes, sir.